0: start today's message by sharing a story with you. In World War II, there was a name, a man by the name of Oscar Schindler. Now, you may not know that name in particular, but he was a part of the Nazi party in Germany. And he was an industrialist. He ran a factory in In his factory, they made military weapons for the Nazis. And even though he was a part of the Nazi party, he did not agree with their treatment of people in concentration camps, particularly the Jews. And so one of the things that he did is he set out to save as many Jews as possible. And so what he did, in his view of what he was able to do, because everybody has something they can do to impact other people, his gift was employment in his factory, in his industry. And so he would employ Jewish people, and he would pay the German government money. He would pay them handsomely to bring Jews out of concentration camps and have them employed in his factories. And those particular Jews would not be touched by the Nazis because they were in the the factory building weapons. And so what happened over time as the war went on, well, that gets costly. That begins to get costly. The government begins to demand more. And Oskar Schindler would begin to sell his possessions. He would sell his house. He would sell his clothing. He would sell everything that he had to save one more Jew from the concentration camps. And then at the end of the war, when they're liberated and people are coming out of the concentration camps, he begins to see with his own eyes what he saved people from. And he was heartbroken So I want you to watch this video clip. This is a video clip of the end of Schindler's List when he realizes what was going on in the concentration camps. He knew it wasn't good, but he didn't realize how bad it was, and he began to sell his personal possessions to save people. Watch this clip. Over the course of World War II, Oscar Schindler would save 1,200 Jews from the concentration camps, selling his possessions. When he saw with his own eyes the people that he had saved, he said, my car, I could have, I could have sold my car. That's 10 people. I, this pen, this pen that's made of gold, I could have sold that, and that's, that's two more people. Two more people, 10 more people, what might I have been able to do? I I wasted so much money, and yet I might have been able to save just two more people or 10 more people, and yet I wasted so much money. The question for all of us in this room, the question for every Christian that has ever served Christ and said, Christ, I give you everything, And that means my bank account. That means my life. That means my energy and my effort. I give you everything. The question that we will all ask ourselves, and the question that I want you to ask yourself now, the question you will ask yourself on the other side of eternity is the question that I want you to ask now while you're on this side of eternity. And that question is this What will I wish I would have given away while I still had the chance? five minutes after you die, what will I wish I would have given away while I still had the chance to save one more person from something worse than a concentration camp and to bring them into something better than freedom from a concentration camp, but to bring them into true freedom and true beauty? What could I have given away for that one more person one more person could have been standing right here by my side. But I chose to hold on to something. I, hold, I chose to binge on Netflix one more hour instead of call that person up and go out to dinner with them. I chose to hang on to this just a little bit more because I had to have that one thing that whatever it is that rusts and fades over time but it could have been given to bring somebody else to heaven. Five minutes after we die, we will ask ourselves that question, what could I have given away while I still had the chance? And if you think, Tyson, that, that, that's not really what happens, then I want to read to you from Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. It says, he, talking about Jesus, will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, it's true that Jesus is going to come. When you arrive in heaven, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to wipe the tears from your eyes, and the old way of doing things, and the earth that we know, he's going to do away with it, and the old order is gone question we have to ask ourselves is why are we in heaven crying what happens in heaven that we cry we often think of heaven as a place where there's no more crying and there's no more weeping and there's no more sorrow and that's true for the long term but at first when you first arrive there's weeping and there's crying And I wonder, I just wonder if it's because we get to heaven and we realize, oh my goodness, this is so far beyond anything I could ever imagine and I wasted so much time, money, energy, and effort on things that didn't matter. And I'm asking myself, what could I have given away to save one more person from a fate worse than a concentration camp? It's a real question. It's especially real if the Bible mentions it. It says Jesus will personally come and wipe the tears from your face and say, come on, it's, it's okay. You did what you could. It's okay. I don't, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be Oscar Schindler going, I have this pen made of gold. That was two more people. I have this car. It's, that's, that's ten people. But because I wanted to live the life the way I wanted to live it, I held on to the things that I thought I had to have. Only if I had given more, I could have had one more thing. I ask you that because what is that one more thing for you? I would rather you ask yourself that now here on this side of eternity than on the other side. I'd rather you go home today thinking about what's that one thing that God would have me to give away for his kingdom. I'd rather you make that decision now on this side of the album than when it's time for life to flip to side B of the album, you're going, so that instead of Jesus walking up, wiping tears off your eyes, he can come up and throw his arms around you and hug you, which I believe he'll do anyway because he's loving like that. Jesus is recorded as saying, and though it's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, it's not in one of the four Gospels, Jesus is recorded as saying, and this is the only place that it's ever recorded saying, and yet it's one of his most famous things that he's ever said. The physician Luke records in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, "'In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, said,' It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The word blessed there in the Greek, one of the definitions means to be happy, to be excited, to be ecstatic. I am blessed. I am happy. It is more blessed. I am so happy to give. I am ecstatic. And the Bible tells us that over and over in the New Testament. That God loves a cheerful giver. The word "cheerful" means about ready to bust out of your skin with joy. It's like that little kid who, on Christmas morning, they, they're just, oh, they're, they're wired and they're knocking on your door at 4:30 in the morning when you're like, "Shut up and go away." You, you're like, "Man, why'd you remind me of that? Because it's coming, that's part of my job as a pastor to tell you what's coming, right? It's coming. Or like the child that the night before Christmas on Christmas Eve, they want to go to sleep. I have to go to sleep because Santa Claus is coming, but they're so excited they can't. And so now they're afraid Santa Claus is going to go by their house because they can't go to sleep. And they're afraid, right? They're so excited to bust out of their skin. God loves a cheerful giver. They're so excited. I'm so excited to give to God. I can't wait. That's why when the plate goes by or you're online giving that you're like, "Man, I can't wait to give to this because I know I'm saving somebody into heaven." I know that as I give to the river that a portion of my money is going to prevent human trafficking. I know that my money is going to missionaries to bring people into the kingdom of God. I'm excited. I'm happy. I'm joyous because I'm not going to get to heaven and go, I wish I would have given just one more thing. I wish I wouldn't have spent that money on that coffee mug that I thought was funny, but it's really just wasted. And now it's sitting in the rummage sale for five cents or whatever somebody will give me for it. Every time I go to buy something for the house, we went to Hobby Lobby last night. And she's like, oh, I love this sign. It would look nice right here. And you know what goes through my mind? That's 50 bucks. That in five years from now, I was going to sit in my driveway at a rummage sale for five bucks. See, I got some men gave me a hallelujah. Right? Yes. I'm like, no. No. Just get this one. And then, like, do something on it. Like, etch the saying in it with a sharpie or something. And just put it above. And now I've got women going. Right? So I've already started a fight for your marriage when you go home. Aren't you glad you came to church today? right? But how how much do we throw away that when I give to God's kingdom, I know that the world is changing because of it. The whole reason that we're doing this Imagine campaign, right, for the last three years, we've been saving up money for land. And I am so, so proud of you guys. I am ecstatic. You realize that when churches Start a campaign and people commit, right? And the church says, we're going to raise, uh, in our case, we wanted, to, we wanted to raise, I think, about 100, Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, about $175,000 to buy property, okay? Now, I asked Aaron for some numbers, and we are, I, I, this is amazing, guys. When churches do a capital campaign, they expect to only get about 65% of what's committed actually comes in. About 65%. So just for easy math, if a church commits to $100,000, the leaders of that church know, okay, well, we're we're really only going to get about $65,000. But you guys have tracked, Aaron, I'm trying to find your text. So you guys have tracked at 80%. 80% of what was committed to has come in. And we still have a month left to give. I mean, you guys aren't even applauding yourself. Come on. You guys have tracked 80%. Okay, let me listen to these numbers, right? So $107,000 has been given in three years. That's 80% of our goal. With some money that we already had sitting back in the bank, because I knew, I'm like, if I go to them and ask for money, I better have some money as a church set back in the bank. So right now, we're approaching almost $150,000 set back in the bank to buy property. That's awesome, guys. Good job. Good job. Okay? All right. So here we go. Five. Okay, 10 out of 32 families that committed to give money, 10 of those families are already at 100%. They, they completed their goal before it was even the end of 2019. That's awesome, right? Okay, 20% of our goal, 20% of our goal was, was donated by n- people that never filled out a commitment card or never fully committed to giving to the capital campaign, 20% of that, people had just heard about it and said, you know what, I'm not, I can't commit to anything, but I'm just going to give to it anyway. That's awesome. Yes. Par- Thank you, Parker. Somebody going to clap. Right? That's awesome. You guys are doing phenomenal work. And I can tell you that we are looking for property. We're looking for land. One of the things that I have said, and I have said this from the get-go, before we ever started the church, Lynn and I went to retreat, and, and on this, this place where we went to the retreat, they have a 24-7, 365, it's a prayer room. And it's always open, and there's always worship, and there's always prayer going on at this location. And I said, you know what? I, told, I, made, a, I made a vow and a promise to God. I said, God... If we are given land, if we are given land, I promise you, we will have a prayer room that is open 24-7, 365, with worship happening. It doesn't matter if you walk in at 3 a.m., there's going to be worship going on and prayer going on. It doesn't matter what happens. People need a place to go to connect with you. And they shouldn't walk up to a church and its doors be locked. You ever wondered why somebody's open 24-7, but they have locks on their doors? I just... That's a side note, right? Like get and go, open 24-7, but they have locks on their doors. Not the church. The church should not have a lock on its door, right? Now, I don't mean, obviously, I'm not talking about safety, locks for safety purposes and so on, but we need to have a place where people can go, like, man, I need some place to go. I need some solitude. I just need to go and rest and have couches there and seats there and places where we need to do that. Our leadership team right now is reading through a book called Prayers That Bring Revival by Pastor David Young E. Cho. It's the largest church in the world with over a million people in attendance in in Seoul, South Korea. And in Seoul, South Korea, his church, they purchased a mountain. They bought a mountain because when you have a million people in your church, you can do things like that, I guess. Right? And it's called Prayer Mountain. And at the top of the mountain is a prayer chapel, 24-7, 365. And there's usually, on average, about 5,000 people in Prayer Mountain. And it doesn't matter what time of the day or what holiday it is, there's an average of 5,000 people in there just praying. That's all they do is prayer. They rotate in and out, and they pray. They're not making money. That church is not making money off that mountain. That church is not doing anything but praying for South Korea and praying for God's move across the world. That's all they do with that mountain. And I told our leaders as we're reading this book, I'm like, wouldn't it be awesome? Now, we can't buy a mountain because we live in Indiana, but maybe we get a field and we just have a prayer field. And what grows is not soybean and corn, but what grows is people's spiritual lives. And what grows is their passion for Christ, right? And we're not going to have maybe a whole field for prayer, but we'll at least have a place for prayer. That's what we're about. In addition to building the church and the community center that we talked about. That's what we're, That's why we're taking up the extra offering at the end of service today. That's why we're doing what we're doing. Because I believe wholeheartedly that God wants to do something in lapel that will cause Madison County to sit up and take notice. But it won't be a government decision. It won't be the school system. It won't be anything that man thinks they need to make a change. It'll be the Spirit of God moving in the lives of people because there are people committed to God despite their circumstances and despite what they're facing. They're saying, I can go there And I can find freedom and liberty in God. That's you. That's who you are. That's what you're building. That's what you're creating. Right? was so far off my notes. Jesus said you should be happy to give, ecstatic to give, blessed. Blessed are those. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So if you think about this word blessed actually meaning happy, saying I'm happy, Well, generosity, as we've been talking about generosity, happy does two things for the person giving and for the person receiving. One, you know what? I'm happy that I have the resources to give. Now, I did not say I'm happy that I have the resources to hand over $500,000. Your resources might be $5, your resources might be, you know what, all I've got right now is a pen to my name in my pocket, and I'm going to put it in the plate, and I'm going to give the church my pen as a sign that, you know what, I'm just going to trust God. Fine, and if somebody put a pen in the plate, give it to me, because I want to write with that pen, because that's a pen of faith, that somebody put faith in the plate, even though it was just an ink pen, Right? Your resource might be $500,000. Whatever your resource is, it says that I am happy and ecstatic to be able to give it, that I have a resource. I even have a resource to give. Because so many people around the world don't. And then for the person that's receiving the generosity, they are happy to receive it. Jesus says, it's more when you are generous and you give, you're getting blessed and you're happy as the giver and you're blessing and giving to the person that's receiving. He says this, this is a win-win. Generosity is a win-win situation. Generosity removes, from the, removes pride from the giver and the receiver. Generosity removes pride from the giver and it removes pride from the receiver. How many times have you gone to help somebody maybe at the grocery store? Yesterday Lynn and I went went to the grocery store and we were walking in to Meyer and there was an elderly lady and she was pushing her cart and she had like, I don't know what, it was. I don't know if it was salt. It was a big bag of something. And um, Lynn stops and she's like, hey, would you like some help to put that in your trunk? You know? And she was like, no, 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 no. And she's like barely lifting it. And she's like, no, 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 no. I can get, I can do it. Well, what is that? That's Pride. And, like, literally, she would not let me help her. <laughs> and she's like, no, no, I got it, I got it. I'm like, I can't, like, just, you know, push an old lady out of the way and then load her trunk for her. <laughs> that's really weird. Okay, you know. I said, okay. But that's pride. Pride prevents you from receiving. We often think if of, I'm too proudful to give, but pride on the other side is, you know what, I don't need any help, thanks. When somebody wants to help, and you might need it a little bit, but you're like, no, I don't want the help. That's pride. And so pride prevents us from receiving, and pride prevents us from giving. But when we're generous and the person accepts, pride goes out the door for both parties. So pride remo- uh, generosity removes pride from both the giver and the receiver. And I believe Than inside of each one of us, there is a sense of destiny and there is a sense of purpose. It might be small for some, it might be crushed for some, it might be buried under the rug for some, and for some it might be shining like a lighthouse. But I believe inside of each person sitting here, there is a sense of destiny and there's a sense of purpose. The Bible tells us of this lady named Esther. And it says that, The king, who was moved by Haman, kind of his right hand, he was moved by Haman to exterminate the Jewish people under his rule. Well, it just so happens by a turn of events that he marries Esther. Now, Esther is a Jew. And yet he's getting ready to issue a decree to exterminate all the Jews in his kingdom. So one night, Esther's uncle comes to her. And he says, hey, here's what's happening. Because her uncle served in the king's court, so he knew what was going on. And he comes to Esther and he says, hey, here's what's happening. And don't think for a moment that just because you're the queen, when he realizes you're a Jew, the law's the law. You'll have to be exterminated too. In fact, this is, And this is what he says to his niece. This is what he says to Esther. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. He says, Esther, God's gonna do what God's gonna do. You can either choose to get on board with it or he will find another avenue to save his people. Who knows that maybe you have become queen for such a time as this. Maybe God has entrusted the river and has entrusted us with this vision for a community center and for a church and to love on our town because he knows that he couldn't entrust it to anybody else, but he's entrusted it to us. And he says, this is what I want for Lapel." And if we don't do it, maybe he wants it but if we don't do it, he'll find somebody else to do it. I don't want that. I want to know that I've heard from God and that I'm going to march on those orders because who knows that you and I weren't born for such a time as this. Who knows that you weren't born to be a part of a church that does something so outside of the box for the town that people sit up and go, what? Seriously. Seriously. I believe that generosity is one of those things that opens up the door to share Christ. It says, I love you, I care for you, I'm going to do something so ridiculously generous, and I don't want anything in return. You know, we used to do, one of the things that we used to do as a church is we used to have a free rummage during the village fair, and I called it legally stealing. If you want it, take it, walk away, right? It's called legally stealing. And so we allowed people to legally steal from us. And we had one gentleman, one year, had no concept of this. No concept of grace, no concept of generosity. He got mad at us, literally. Like, and he took out his wallet and said, well, the church passes the plate, doesn't it? Yeah. Grabs a 20, throws it on the ground it says, take it, and walks off. And I'm like, okay. So I picked up a 20, and I gave it to another couple, and I said, I want you to have date night. Go have date night. <laughs> I'm like, the church is not doing this for the money, and we're not going to take the money because we're going to be a blessing, and we're going to be a church that looks outward, not inward. The first sign of a church dying is that it begins to look inward, and atrophy sets in what can we do for our people how do we how do we do for us that's that's secular worldly non-godly thinking we need to be a church that looks outward because people don't understand generosity and what why are you doing this what's what's the purpose it's no accident that this group of people have come together for such a time as this to build a place where people can find refuge and find safety and find a spiritual home where they can begin to grow together and share and hold one another accountable and love together so that the world may know the love of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. And so maybe maybe I'm being a little bit Mordecai and maybe you're being a little bit Esther, but I'm saying maybe you were here for such a time as this. Then we should be happy and excited for this. God has placed us here now. It's not, man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and it's just so horrible. Did you see that thing on the news? No, man, I was born for now. I was born for this. I was made for this. This is my purpose. God put me in a dark period of history to shine light. That's why you're here. That's why we're here now. I love... First Chronicles and First Chronicles. It's one of those books that if you're not careful, you'll start reading it, and you'll be like, "The Bible is super boring." So I'm just going to set this to the side, and I don't know what my grandma saw in it. <laughs> right? If you start reading First Chronicles and you start getting into it, you're going to find a list of so and so begat, and that's just Bible term for they had they Netflix and chilled, and then they had this person. That's what that means. And that's probably, that's like so last year. But, and so they, and it goes through. Like so-and-so had this person and so-and-so had this and then they had this and then he and, and this. And it just lists people. It just lists people, just names. Until, it just lists names. Until you get to 1 Chronicles 4.10. In 1 Chronicles 4.10 it says this. Jabez cried out to God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. All right, I'm gonna skip the free from pain part. But when you read, name, 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 Jabez. Jabez prayed, God, enlarge my territory and enlarge my vision and enlarge me so that I can be a blessing to you. Right And keep me from pain and keep me from harm so like all my days I can just keep blessing you. And then it goes name, 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 name. Jabez is only mentioned three times in the Bible. And that's really all, that's the most we know about Jabez. We know nothing else And Jabez prayed, God, enlarge my territory so I can be a blessing for you. Give me more so I can turn around and give out more. That's all we know about Jabez. That's it. But Jabez believed God wanted to expand his territory so that he could be a bigger blessing. I believe that this room is full of Jabez's that's going to pray, God, expand my my business, expand my influence, expand everything that I have so that I can be a blessing for you. Because I want to be more of a blessing. I want more, not so I can hoard it, but so that I can give it. Remember a few weeks ago what we talked about? We talked about when you go to a restaurant and you get really good service, what happens? You go back. And I know that if I provide really good service to God and say, okay, God, you've given me this. I'm going to bless others. God's going to be like, you know what? I'm coming back because you've used what I've given you. I want return service from God. I want return service from the Holy Spirit. I want him eating at my table and coming back saying, okay, here you go. Here's a tip. Have more, Tyson. I want that because I want to be a blessing for God because I don't want to be like Oscar Schindler and look out and go, if I just sold my car, if I just sold that one thing, if I had just given one more time, if I would given one more ounce of energy. You see, throughout history, God has always found a group of people that will do his bidding and do his call. Whether it's Moses and Aaron leading the people out of Egypt, whether it's David and his son Solomon establishing the kingdom of Israel, whether it's the 12 disciples and the 120 in the upper room where Christianity began. Maybe it's the Council of Assisi, you Google that later. Maybe it's the ministers that came together in Kentucky in 1800 and brought a revival of 20,000 people that would come days upon days upon days upon days where a lot of historians believe Abraham Lincoln's parents gave their life to Christ so that Abraham Lincoln would be raised in a Christian home in that revival. God uses groups of people to change the history. He has what I like to call history's handful. History's handful of people that will change their area for Christ. And I believe the river is God's history's handful for lapel? We are history's handful for Madison County. Will we raise up and rise up to do what God has called us to do? Will we say, "God, not right now. I'm too busy. Go find somebody else to do this. Not me. Not in this moment in history. I was born. I was made for this. It's going to happen in my lifetime." It's going to happen in your lifetime. I'm going to be a part of History's Handful for Lapel. Do you guys want to be a part of History's Handful for Lapel? I'm asking. I just want to know. Stand up. As we close, stand up. Here's what we're going to do. As the band plays, as the band comes back out, and plays. I want you to turn to the neighbor on your right and say, you are history's handful. Turn to the neighbor on your left and say, I am history's handful. Now, some of you may have brought this morning, some of you may have brought some extra money for the Imagine campaign. As the band gets ready to play, I'm going to pray real quick. And then there are buckets down here. I'd like for you to bring whatever extra offering, whatever extra money you brought with you for our Imagine campaign to be a part of God's history's handful for And I don't want you to put it in the bucket, but I don't want you to leave. I want you to just kind of fan out and let other people come up. And then as a body of believers, we're going to pray together over this. If you're a first-time guest... Don't feel compelled. You don't even have to be a part of this. Don't feel the pressure. If you're here this morning like, man, I forgot. That's all right. I want you to come on up. We're going to pray together anyway, okay? We're going to pray together anyway. So put it in the bucket, step aside, let other people come up and bring it up. And then what we're going to do is as a body, we're going to come in and we're going to pray over this money. We're going to believe that God is going to do something supernatural through our church to bless this area and to, for, to bring furtherance to his kingdom. And the Bible says, as we've talked about for the last several weeks, when you sow a seed, God promises a harvest. It's a biblical, spiritual principle. And we're gonna believe by faith if that happens. And if all you've got is that faith pen and you wanna put it in, put it in. It's an act of faith and God will reward that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be a part of history's hands hands full. Lord, that we can give back to you. Excitedly, happily, putting aside our pride as givers and putting aside our pride as receivers. And we can be a part of your kingdom and generosity. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can come forward. Come on up. We're gonna people are coming up. We're just going to gather together. Can we get in close? Let's get in close. Come on in. Don't be afraid. You're going to spend eternity with these people anyway. Some of them might even, their mansion might even be next to yours. So come on in. And can we just, can we just kind of grab hands together? pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be history's handful for Lapel, to do something that has never been done here before. Lord, I ask as, as we sow our seeds of faith, believing that you will, re, you will return a harvest 30, 60, and even 100 folds. Lord, may we leave this place today believing that you have a field with our name on it, whatever it is, wherever it may be. And, Lord, in that field, people are going to find deliverance. They're going to find rest. And, God, more importantly, they're going to grow in the image and likeness of you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 You guys have an amazing week. We love you.